0: So generosity, what does it mean? Well, in order to really get the most out of today's message, we need to go back and pick up last week's message for just a little bit. And if you remember last week, we talked about the early church and what they were devoted to. And I love this. uh, Jen Welkin, a tremendous Bible teacher. And uh, this is what she said the other day. I read an article, and I thought this was so good. She said, according to Amazon's devotional bestseller list. And one of the things that she's pointing out is that Uh, one of the biggest things right now is morning devotions, and uh, there's nothing wrong with morning devotions, but she said the problem is the word devotion, and she said if you look at Amazon, the way that they describe devoted, it means uh, to be inspired and comforted, but according to the scripture, that same word devoted actually means set apart for special service. And do you see the difference? Every day when you pick up a morning devotion, if your purpose is, Lord, motivate me and inspire me, that's really not the answer. The real question should be, Lord, would you please help me to realize that I am set apart to do special service for you today? That if there's somebody that you put in my path, Lord, let me be just like you. And if we're not careful, we almost approach the Lord like it's his responsibility to encourage us and inspire us. It's not. It's our responsibility to be inspired because of what Christ has done for us. Matter of fact, it's important that if you look, remember last week we said the early church was devoted, that means they were set apart for service, to the following things, the teaching of the apostles which meant that they talked constantly about the methods and the message of Jesus. They had fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. And then out of that came generosity. When you first give your life to Jesus Christ, I can't speak for everybody in the room, but I know for me and a lot of people I've talked to, generosity is not the very first thing that comes right out of your life. I mean, it isn't like you you come out of that baptistry and are like, I can't wait to start selling everything I own. And I no, it's, it's an ongoing process. And what's that process? Well, you notice they devoted themselves to all of these things, and then what happened? Out of the overflow came generosity. Acts 2, and 45 says, all the believers were together, and they had everything in common, which last week we pointed out, they really didn't have everything in common. They really only had one thing in common, and that was what? Jesus They sold their property, they sold their possessions, and they gave to everyone, everyone, and anyone who had need. Can you imagine if every church, if every church made this part of their mission, and you left here today, and people are leaving every church right now, and not one person had a need. It was all taken care of. Wouldn't that be amazing? That's what the church is called to be. Then you fast forward to Acts chapter 4, Verses 32 through 35, it says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that they had any of their possessions that was their own. They shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them. They were all needy persons, and anyone who was needy from time to time, If they owned land or houses, they sold them. Then they brought the money from the sales, they put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Generosity. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, You can never do kindness too soon because you never know how soon will be too late. Here's what we all have in common, probably, is if you sometime today reflect over the last week you probably let somebody down. Or there was somebody God kind of laid on your heart to reach out to or to call or somebody to send a text to and you you just didn't have time. And then later on you realize, I should have made time. See, there's always going to be the needs of others in front of us. So don't wait. Allow God's Spirit to move you into action. 1 John 2, 5, and 6 is this, By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. That's what we're going to do today. If you want to be, if we want to be a generous church, then if you want to look at the perfect picture of generosity, you don't even need to start with the early church. Who do you need to start with? Jesus. So today we're just going to say, okay, the early church learned this generosity from Jesus we'll learn from Jesus. And what we know about Jesus is Jesus gave generously to anyone at any time. That's what I love about Jesus. To anyone at any time. And that's our mission. So let's look at how we did that. Take your Bibles and turn over to John 4. Jesus gave to anyone. And this is a remarkable story starting in verse 1. And you've heard it many times. It's, it's, it's sometimes called uh, the woman at the well or the Samaritan woman at the well. But Jesus is with his disciples, and they're Jewish. And in the Jewish culture, there was a group of people. They could not stand Purdue graduates. Do you know what I'm saying? They, they could not. No, I'm just, just saying if anybody's even awake, okay. Uh, they couldn't stand Samaritans. And it was so bad, the hatred was so bad, that they would literally go miles and miles out of their way to not even get near Samaria. And Jesus does what he always does. He mixes it up and he says, we're gonna go right through the heart of Samaria. So you know the disciples are grumbling. Now, haven't we all been in dangerous areas in our life? Areas that, you know, with the kids, like late at night, we'd be like, okay, roll the windows down, eyes straight ahead, don't say anything. Like we always say to Caleb, don't say anything. You know, we've all been in those kind of areas. Well, Samaria was an area that culturally they just didn't even be near Samaria or the people. Jesus takes the disciples there, and it's the middle of the day, and the disciples go off to get food. And so it's just Jesus there at this area where there's a well. And now a woman is coming to draw water. Now, Jesus does a couple things right away culturally that uh, are amazing. Number one is that he was actually willing to talk to a Samaritan, but a woman, I mean, that's breaking all the rules. And I remember this summer, I had the opportunity to do a study through the book of John, and uh, it was 20 straight days, and we went through the entire book of John. Every day there would be a devotion, and I got a chance to do interviews with so many people that I love and admire. And, and I remember when I did John 4, it was Joanne Pazanisi. And this is what Joanne pointed out. She said, you know, Jesus is always the focus of these stories, but she goes. You got to remember, this woman—it was so risky for her to talk to Jesus. Don't forget that because she'd been with all these men, so you got to know she had been abused. Like she, she didn't trust men at all. And here's this Jewish man, and she's willing to talk to him, and realizing that his motives were pure, and there was something totally different about him. But she said she taught us something. And I think that woman at the well did teach us a lot. Jesus was not just teaching her about physical water, but the water that is eternal. As a matter of fact, in verses 13 and 14, Jesus, as he's talking to this woman, said, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will be in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Richard Foster said this, that the goal of the Christian life is not simply to get us to heaven, but to get heaven into us. Jesus is bringing heaven right to this woman at the well. He's saying, man, we're here having water, and we love this water. We know that it sustains us. But i got to tell you something. There's something far greater than this physical water. There's living eternal water. And don't you love her response in verse 15? Give me some of that water. That's my translation. She said to him, Jesus, give me this water so that I won't be thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And I think at that point she knew we're not talking about water anymore, are we? We're talking about something that's eternal. And that's what I love about Jesus. Jesus can pierce through the darkness of our lives and bring light. Jesus can subdue all of our fears and give us hope. Jesus can take our emptiness and give all of us living water. Some of you, that's what you need right now. I mean, you are on empty. And I don't mean you rolled in here and the lights are blinking and it's Your car's on empty. I mean, spiritually and emotionally, you are on empty. And I want you to know that that living water is still living today. And Jesus is sharing with you the same thing he shared with her. If you want it, come and get it. Don't you love that about Jesus? He will love anyone. He will love anyone at any time. I don't know about you, but... Um, when I start reflecting, uh, over 2020, uh, Carol Carey said this the other day, and I'm going to quote it many times cause I love it so much. Uh, I said, Hey Carol, do you know when they, uh, are turning the clocks back? Do you know what Sunday? And she said, I don't know. And I don't want to know because I don't want to turn my clocks back. Why would I want one more hour in 2020? Can I have an amen? amen. That's exactly that how we all feel. In fact, I told someone the other day, I said, You know when they drop that ball? I hope they blow it up in New York. (laughs) So when I look back over 2020, here's one thing I'm going to remember is how strange Easter was this year. I mean, it was just strange. And I remember not having a very good attitude, to be honest with you, as I was getting ready to go to church. I mean, because I absolutely love Easter, I love the season. I love working with the team, like our staff. We just have an amazing staff. And I love we was just dreaming, brainstorming about How do we get more people uh, that are bringing their family and friends? How do we share this message of the resurrection of Christ in a fresh and powerful way? I mean, uh, how are we going to do the sunrise service better than it's ever been? How are we going to do And then we realized there's no need to brainstorm on that anymore because that's not going to happen. And uh, they were having the service on the east side and... Uh, they supposed to have, I think, nine people. that actually had 20 people there to, to put out the live streaming. And on the way to church, um, I was praying because I was not in a good mood at all. And then, um, I don't know if you do this, but <laughs> sometimes I'll land on a song, and for whatever reason, that song is, like, hitting me, and I'll play it again. <clears throat> and then sometimes the third time, and then if I'm really depressed four. And five is like, I, I need to pull off the car. You know what I'm saying? I, that's, that's what, and it, it was, that was a, f- listen to the same song five times Sunday. And so I'm on my way to church, and um, the song there was Jesus. And if you haven't heard it, you just need to download it uh, by Zach Williams and Dolly Parton. And uh, I'd like to sing that for you right now. <laughs> 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 You're like, Wow. The Holy Spirit's thick in this place. Okay, so no, I'm not going to sing it. But I would like to sing the Dolly Parton part, so I know you'd like me to sing <laughs> But in the song, the lyric is just—it's um, just amazing. Every time I try to make it on my own, every time I try to stand, I start to fall. And all those lonely roads that I've traveled on, there was Jesus. When the life I built came crashing to the ground and when the friends I had were nowhere to be found, I couldn't see it then, but I can see it now. There was Jesus. In the waiting, in the searching, and the healing, in the hurting, like a blessing buried in the broken pieces, every minute, every moment, where I've been and where I'm going, even when I didn't know it or couldn't see it, there was Jesus. And he's there for you right now. And Jesus, just like the woman at the well, just like the countless broken people that he encountered, he's just always there. There's Jesus. And he'll show up for you when you are just, your life is completely turned around and you have, it feels like no hope. There's Jesus. I'm telling you, for every one of us, there's Jesus. And that's what he calls for us, to be Jesus, to anyone who needs to hear Jesus. That's his example. And then he tells this story. And in this story, we see that not only Jesus is willing to reach out to anyone, he's willing to reach out to anyone at any time. Matthew chapter 20, Jesus loves to share these parables. And this is one of the most, for me, difficult parables to literally wrap my mind around because it doesn't make any sense. I mean, that's the way God is. So as Jesus is sharing this, if you were sitting there that day, I'm, I got to be honest with you, I think it would have bothered you because it still bothers me because I'm like, if I put myself there, if I'm really going to be honest, I don't like this story. So I'm going to go ahead and tell you the story. So here's what's going on. Jesus has these folks and they're listening and he breaks into this uh, parable and it's about a vineyard. He said, there was this landowner, huge job, got this huge job, got to get started early. And so at 6 a.m., he gets all these workers together. They agree on what they're going to get paid, and it's an incredibly fair wage for a day's labor. And, I mean, they are pumped, you know, a little whistle while they work action. I mean, they are having a great time. And then around 9 o'clock, the owner goes out and he gets the second shift of people. He said, hey, come on, i got to get some more people to finish the job. And they're like, oh, Okay. And then around noon, he goes out, he hires another shift. And now it's getting kind of crazy. Around 3 o'clock, does it again. He gets another shift to get this job done. And then at the 11th hour, I mean, it's after 5 o'clock now, the owner goes out, and he tells everybody who needs work, come on in, join the army to get this vineyard complete. Now, if the story ended there, That's kind of a feel-good story. But it doesn't end there. Matter of fact, from verses 6 to 16, it is like a train wreck. Because Jesus said, and guess what happens now, boys and girls? And you can see him like, we know. uh, He pays everybody, and everybody's happy, and they all go home. Oh, no, no. Jesus points out, no, this is exactly what happened. Uh, Those folks that came in at the 11th hour, they got a full day's wage. Matter of fact, in Jewish custom, this is interesting, in Deuteronomy 24, 15, it says this that you are to pay your workers their wages each day before sunset, because the poor are counting on it. Isn't that interesting? So part of the Hebrew culture was at the end of the day you get paid, but here's how they always got paid. Whoever worked the hardest got paid what? First. So they go to the front of the line, they get their money, they'd go away. And Jesus said, no, no, the the landowner actually had the people who came in the last hour, and he paid them first. The first that uh, should have been last, they were first. And not only that, he gave them a full day's wage. And guess what? Everybody else was so happy for them. Isn't that right? No, they're like, whoa, Jesus, seriously. We need a vineyard union right now. This cannot happen. And he goes, you know what? It went all the way down the line to the person who started at 6 a.m. got the same amount as the person who worked for one hour. And they're like, Jesus, honestly, we know you're really sharp, but that is one of the dumbest stories I've ever heard. No, that isn't fair. Now, if you're reading that and you want to be a little pious, you go, yes, I understand. No, you'd be like, no, that is not fair. Haven't we done that sometimes? Like, Lord, really, is that fair, how this person's being treated? is it fair that that person should receive your mercy? Is it fair that you're asking me to forgive? No, that's not fair. God could care less if it's fair. He's God. Matter of fact, he said that. You know what the landowner's response is? I'm paraphrasing is, it's none of your business. Hey, you agreed. You agreed at the beginning of the day and everything was great. What that person receives at the end of the day, that's none of your concern. You let God do what only God can do. Now, it may seem like a very little parable, but think of the significance of that and the example of generosity. matter of fact, Jesus even said in verse 13 in that parable, he said, Are you envious because I am what? Generous. Isn't that wild? Why are you so upset that the landowner is so generous? And if you're upset about a little story, guess what? That's what God does every day. He's generous even to the people we don't want God to be generous to. The generosity of the Lord is always, a, and the last shall be first, always. Remember the disciples arguing with Jesus, who's going to be the greatest? And Jesus said, the least will be the greatest. They never got the, They just never got it. And then the generosity, the Lord's way, is for anyone at what? any time. You know what that means? At what moment can somebody call out to God before they die? And you know what moment that is? The last breath they draw, they could come to Jesus Christ. I had a funeral one time, and I remember that was the 11th hour. I was called by family, and I remember the guy that I prayed with. And the family said, can you bring, can you anoint him with oil? I don't have anointing oil right on me. And I remember uh, I used Johnson's baby oil. I remember running, I remember got to give me some oil somewhere. You know, I didn't want to use Crisco. So anyway, I, I remember grabbing that and going to the hospital. I remember praying over him. And I remember getting down as close as I could. And I just said, brother, you don't have long in this world. Do you, you need Jesus Christ. Do you want Jesus Christ? And he said, I want him so bad. And I actually, somebody at the funeral said, do you really think Jesus accepted that? I'm like, you bet he did. Amen. You bet he did. It's never too late. Some of you may have came here today, and you've never given your life to Christ, and you've waited, and you've waited, and you waited, and you know what? It's never too late. Some of you may have came here today, and you've got uh, this past. You've got baggage. You're like, it's too late for me. There's no way. No way. He well, guess what? When I read that parable, you're just at the eleventh hour. It's never too late. I love that about Jesus. Don't you love that about Jesus? And by the way, grace isn't fair. It may be amazing if if we sang it the way we want. We don't want anyone to sing "Amazing Grace." It's just not fair. I mean, really. <laughs> Isn't that what we really feel? I mean, come on. Grace, if you play it out, makes no sense. It makes no sense. That's why it's amazing. And that's exactly when you think about generosity. Like, what is generosity? And I would say, well, it's uh, following the ways of Jesus. So generosity is this. I will love anyone at any time. That's it. And if you do that, and if I do that, that isn't normal. That's allowing God's generosity to move through us. Uh, Neil had shared uh, with us this morning, and it's so important. When we were planning out the services through Acts, we landed on Acts 245, and part of it was because Sherwood Oaks landed on 245 uh, months ago. How can we be a generous church, even in the midst of COVID and everything going on? And out of that, we've seen the fruit of people stepping up, the church really stepping up. And by the way, non-believers that are always looking at the church, there's plenty of things the church doesn't do well. I get it. Let me tell you what will make a community and non-believers stand up. It's when they see the church practice generosity. So just listen to some of the things that Sherwood Oaks has been able to do with the over $200,000 that's coming. Now, folks, think about that. The $200,000 came in from folks that are going through some of the most difficult times of their life right now. 22 local agencies have received care. 14 global missions have received care. 32 individuals and local benevolence individuals have received care. One of our values is everyday missionaries, and he's calls all of us to be that. And globally, uh, one of the big needs right now is we received information from Central India uh, Christian Mission. They need $50,000. $35,000 has already been committed from the leadership of Sherwood Oaks, but they'd like all three campuses to work together uh, to raise another 15000 to help them out as they're working with these newborns. And they're doing everything they can. Hundreds and hundreds of families are being reached through this hospital. And it's a way for us to reach halfway across the world globally. Community needs. Um, there are so many community needs. But I love to allow people who God has laid a mission on their heart to, to allow them to support and be the point person. And so we have new hope, shelter, And uh, their mission is to keep families in crisis together. They have an 83% success rate. One of the things I love is 85% of the parents who go through this ministry will find employment through that shelter. And so you can sign up to get more information. Jane Rubeck is going to be our contact person. We're going to start collecting toys. We're going to do whatever we can to work hand-in-hand with them as they help the community. And then... Church need. Now, if you look on all your chairs, you'll see a brochure, and it's um, put together by Nate May, who just did an awesome job. And I I just want to kind of share the idea and the concept behind this, take this with you, because this comes straight out of the book of Acts. That's what I love about it. It is such a brilliant idea uh, because it's straight out of scripture, and it's so much better than the old idea. So, uh, I'm going to pull back the curtain. Might be getting in trouble for this one, but I'm going to pull back the curtain. Have you ever wondered a minister and his wife on their way home for lunch? <laughs> what they discuss. I don't know about all ministers. I know for us, it's usually something like this. Honey, I thought I'd heard the greatest sermon ever, but today. <laughs> <laughs> something like that. So anyway. Uh, we rolled out, this was months ago, rolled out this idea of a 911 ministry. And the 911 ministry was you made all these people sign up as if there's an emergency of any kind. Can we call you? And a bunch of folks signed up. And I was pretty excited about it. And I thought, by the way, the name 911 ministry, pretty catchy. Thank you very much. And so Marie said, uh, that 911 ministry, not one of your best ideas. <laughs> really? Really? You know? I think that was my tone. And uh, she's like, uh, first of all, the name, cheesy. And then the second thing is, these people signed up. What are you wanting them to do? You know, we're 911 every day it's 911, you know, and I, she goes, and what are they doing? They're 911 stuff. You know, I mean okay, I didn't think I okay. So we have a lot of people, so then we started sharing about this message a while back, even with the staff, and saying, okay, seriously, what can we do to be a generous church? And the idea was, well, if you, if you follow this example out of Acts, simply the first question is to ask everybody, what are you passionate about? What do you love to do? Even if you're working at a job you can't stand, but something at that job you're really good at, what is that? And then once you share that with us? You love to paint. It's plumbing. Uh, you love to plant flowers. You love to write cards. It doesn't matter what it is you're passionate about. Why don't you let us know what you're passionate about? Then the second thing is, what do you got? What kind of stuff do you have that we can use for ministry? For some, you're like, well, I, can, I got three wheelbarrows and a shop back. I'll put that on there. Some of you are like, I got a tractor. I own a bulldozer. It doesn't matter. Whatever it is, you're like, hey, if that can be used for ministry, let's, let's do that. And then the knees, as they come in, and by the way, they will always come in. We would sit down. We're going to have a team they are going to go through, and they're going to put this together. And they're going to go, well, we have a huge project here. We have a huge need. Uh, we have somebody that needs two rooms painted. Well, guess what? We'll get all these folks together. And you know when you love doing something, and you're doing it with other people, and you're serving the Lord, and you're helping somebody else? I don't know about you, but that puts me in a good mood. Those are the folks I love hanging out with. And in those situations, when I've been with those folks, it gets borderline crazy. Like the laughter and the, it is just some of the best. I'm just seriously, it is just some of the best, funniest. I mean, it's exciting to the point you have other people that aren't even believers and they're watching you going, what is up with them? Why are they so stinking happy? Why are they cutting up all the time? What's the answer? Jesus. You're doing it the way Jesus would do it. And it makes all the difference in the world. So when I think about a church that's reaching out to the world, to the community, and then a church that says, hey, how can we help one another? I think that's the kind of church Jesus wants us to be. I think it's the most basic church. I think it's a church that says, hey, we love anyone, anytime. That's the way Jesus did.